Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast. CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin states in the west end of Richmond, where it is Thursday, February 25th. March is around the corner. And, dude, I don't know if I'm really looking forward to it all of a sudden. Uh, Cavaliers have not looked very good. Um, the last few games, they're on a three-game losing skid now after dropping a 68-61 decision last night in Charlottesville to NC State. A group that, honestly, Virginia had no business losing to in a game that they really had no business winning. Um, I, I thought the Wolfpack did a really nice job, especially once Virginia went with a two-big lineup of basically making the Cavaliers pay when they went small instead. And that's that's just not a good that's not a good spot to be in if you're the Cavaliers. We will no doubt be talking all about that, and uh, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be nice and cathartic. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's so good, Brad. What would what, what could be better? Like marching, you know, February March is usually when I'm enjoying stuff. Um, don't like these three game losing streaks. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. And up in uh, Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the program. What's going on, my dude? Uh, yeah, the uh, the weather got good and the basketball got bad. Um, so that's pretty much where we are right now. Hopefully that'll turn back around, or at least one of those two things will. So at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place to in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. All right, let's. Um, I, I guess we should we should at least go over the specifics, right? So. Since we last recorded, Virginia went to Durham. Um, I mean, that was a high-level basketball game in a variety of ways, at least until the last few minutes. I thought the Cavaliers... I mean, listen, even if Duke has not been good this year, Duke's pieces are good, right? And we can talk all day we want about Jalen Johnson and taking him out of the mix, and if, you know, that thing got played out real real fast, right? But I think it's, it's, it's obvious to the eye that Duke is a very different team with the pieces they have when he's not among them. And sometimes you do have some addition by subtraction. And that team looked significantly better um, against Virginia than I had seen them. And I didn't think Virginia necessarily played that poorly. I just thought Duke made some, you know, some really nice shots. Matthew Hurt was very good. Um, but man, that last few minutes was an absolute train wreck. And it did not, it did not leave you with the, you know, the warm and fuzzies. Um, that being said, I did not expect Virginia to, to to come into Wednesday night's game and look as disjointed, as scattered, as, um, you know, Tony talked about, you know, needing to look in the mirror and find toughness. I just thought that they did not look dialed in. And I, I understand from a human component how that can be a thing, but I think a lot of us on the outside, it's hard for us to understand when you're on a two-game losing streak and you've, you know, you've got a chance at the ACC regular season title and such and such and such. Why, you know, how you could not be locked in, especially when you're playing at home and with all the comforts that come with that. Um, so, yeah, a very disconcerting couple of games for the Who's and not necessarily one, not not what I was expecting, but certainly not, um, you know, what they needed. Uh, Fur, I want to start with you as you watch these two games unfold. Um, you know, even after the Duke game, you still in the preview, you still pick Virginia to beat NC State. Um is is this a function, these last two games and, and this three-game losing streak and sort of where the things are right now, is this a function of this is just who they are to you? Or as we discussed last week, are there things that they can do to sort of repair what's broken? How how does this strike you right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly think they can play better than we've seen them play in the last two games because we've seen them play better throughout the season. Um, and, you know, they, they've definitely hit, you know, they hit some highs when they had that long ACC winning streak to start, you know, league play. But um, I do think that my, my general thought is that rather than there being something that they need to get corrected to be the team that they really are. I think this is sort of the team that they are like the whole picture, not just this three game losing streak. Like, I mean, we've seen them play 21 games, which is a pretty good sample size. And I mean, they flashed like dominated what one or two tournament caliber teams, you know, this season. I mean, I guess if you want to throw North Carolina beating North Carolina by 12 and sort of holding them at bay the whole game, that's a pretty nice win, but it's at home. Um, you know, they've been totally outclassed by the best teams that they've played. Um, you know, the, the, the Duke game was close and, and I think that Duke is, I mean, I said it in the preview for that game, like Duke is better on paper than their record would say. Um, you know, they're, they're one of the best teams in the ACC from a metric standpoint. So I'm not really surprised that they lost that game. Um, certainly it just, it came down to a couple of possessions and they just didn't make enough plays at the end. Um, and that one certainly could have gone the other way. The gaming on Wednesday, um, that was out of character. And, and I think that they're better than they played on Wednesday. But I think that the problems that we saw on Wednesday are indicative of the overall status of this team and how they've been throughout the season rather than an, a blip on the radar, so to speak. Um, I mean, even if you look at their wins in ACC play, you know, there's not a lot of like it, the, the games weren't as close as their games last year. But I mean, the, the the Wake Forest win in January was a single digit game. They were down double digits in the first half. You know, the uh, Notre Dame game they they kind of controlled, but it wasn't a, a route by any means. Um, you know, they absolutely destroyed Clemson, and what was you know there is clearly at this point their best win of the year. But they barely got by Georgia Tech at home, and then really again on the road, even though they won by eight. The pit game was close most of the way. The NC State game in Raleigh was close. Was, I think NC State led in the last few minutes of the game. Um, so, I mean, like, if you look at the whole picture, it, it, this isn't a vintage Tony Bennett UVA team. And just because, I mean, the only reason that we would think that they are is because that's what we expected from them before the season started. They've done really nothing to show us that they are that team. Um, they're 14th on offense in Ken Palm, and they're 30th on defense. Like, the team that won the national championship, I believe it was like first and fifth um, or something like that. So, I mean, you know, like it's, it's not, they're just not on that level despite the preseason expectations. And by no means are they a team that's, you know, you can't just write them off and say like their season's over or anything like that. But I think people need to, people that are expecting this team to be like a contender for a national championship probably need to recalibrate their expectations because the 21 games that we've seen to this, to this point, don't show that sort of a team. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean I can't necessarily disagree. Dave, what about you? As as you've watched this losing streak, do you is this who they are? Um to you, do you feel like there's there's more that can be, you know, done? How how are what what's your now that you've had, you know, 24 yeah. hours to sort of, you know, process this whole thing? What do you what do you th- what are your thoughts? I mean, I think Justin nailed it. If if you look at this team and their body of work and judging by it, they're a good not great team. Um and good, not great teams lose games that they shouldn't lose uh, and lose games you don't expect them to lose and, you know, win games they should win easily close. And that's what the te- this team has been. Um, like, I, mean, I think we're all guilty of kind of judging them based on 
the championship team and what last year's team was doing at the end of the year and thinking, hey, they're adding offensive pieces. They'll, they'll be great now because that was the problem last year. But clearly, like, the pieces they lost on defense um, hurt them drastically. And the pieces they added on offense, although improved play, you know, when you compare talent to talent from last year, they don't necessarily fit well together. Um, and when they all kind of do the same thing, teams can shut it down. Yeah. The games they've struggled in is games they don't come out just scorching the nets from three. This team gets pretty helpless when they can't make three-pointers. Um, so I don't expect them to, like, get much better. If you know, Tony's a great coach. If you look at everything he's done at UVA, you know, look at season by season, you see improvement from the teams, but you usually see it before February. Um, this actually kind of reminds me, I think it was a 16-17 season where they came out and got top 10. Um, yep. Was that Kyle's freshman year? Um, DeAndre and this, was right. Losing streak is, is almost exactly what they did that year at one point. And then they bounced back. Um, yeah. And, and then they, they and kind of, then they ultimately got smoked in the second round of the tournament. Exactly. I mean, they, they kind of built up their record on not so great opponents. They won their initial ACC games. They had a four game losing streak around playing Florida state stumbled into the ACC tournament and then got absolutely housed by Florida in the NCAA tournament. So, and if you Don't think about the way that team fit, um, the pieces that were on that team compared to what Virginia tries to do, they they weren't a great fit. You know, they had Kyle and Ty, but they were young. DeAndre was redshirting. I think Huff was right. Yeah, Huff was on that team redshirting too. Um, so they were playing guys who were capable, but just not capable on both ends to to play efficient on both ends. So that's exactly what this team reminds me of. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him make an early exit in the ACC tournament. You know, if they continue to play like they have the past couple of weeks. Um, and to be honest, like barring, it's hard for me to see their defense improving enough where it can make up for the offensive deficiencies that have clearly been put on film for other teams to kind of defensively replicate. Yeah. So in, um, in 2017, Virginia lost four in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at the, well, actually, let me rephrase. At that point in the season, they were eighteen and five, eight and three on the year. They beat Louisville pretty handily um, at home. Then they go to Virginia Tech and lose in double overtime. They lose at home to Duke by ten. They lose to Carolina uh, three days later um, by th- by like that was the game I think right. That when was they the la- the that was the game that was like the outlier game of the Tony Bennett era for a while there because it was yeah. like the only time they got blown out. Yeah, it was 65-41. Um, in that game, Virginia could not hit the broad side of a barn. They were 2 for 20 from 3. They were 13 of 34 from 2. Um, <laughs> that's so bad. And, I mean, that's really bad. Um, but anyway, um, the reason... Okay, so wait. So then they lose to Miami in overtime by 6 uh, at home. That was home. a terrible basketball game. Yeah, 54-48. And then they go uh, to Raleigh and win by 15. They go to Carolina, excuse me, they get Carolina to beat them by 10, and then they go. They beat Pittsburgh on March the 4th, 2017, um, which will live, I mean, that date will live in my mind forever because that was, I've literally never seen a coach who hated his team more than, <laughs> than, than that was the, that was that the team. team. Wasn't that the team that was like, they were like winless in the ACC, and then they also like didn't play, and like that was the last game of their season or something? 
All right, hold on. I'll go look. It was um, something no, like because we played them in the ACC tournament. Yeah, that's right. We turned around and played them, yeah. and that was that was the game in in Brooklyn where Kevin Stongs was screaming at one of his yes. players while another player was hurt or something. Yep. Yes, that's it. yes, yes. That was also remember that was also the game that the one in Charlottesville where they they were sixty seven forty two. They um, uh, do you remember that? Like they he benched a bunch of dudes. Remember. Mm-hmm. And oh man, that game! I just oh, remember his game. post-game press conference. I was like, "This guy is not happy with his team." <laughs> like, that was the, <laughs> that was a Cam Johnson, Chris Jones, Sheldon Jeter, Ryan Luther. But he he benched Jamel Artis, right? He he, and even though he still played twenty-seven minutes, and he benched uh, Michael Young. That's right. Uh, and those two dudes still played twenty-seven minutes. Uh, Young scored fourteen points, but. Artis finished up with um, he was O of one from three, um, two four four from the field, scored a whopping four points. Anyway, I digress. The reason but I'm that, I'm that bring- losing streak was like right at the same point of the season as yeah, this it was one. February the twelfth, right? Twelfth, the fifteenth, mm-hmm. the eighteenth, and the twentieth. Um, this one obviously the fifteenth, the twentieth, and the twenty fourth. Um, what's interesting about that though is it's not just that losing streak. Yes, they beat they beat Louisville pretty well. You know, in going into it, but they they just lost to Syracuse in Syracuse. They had beaten Virginia Tech pretty handily at home the uh, three days before that, and that was also the year they lost to Villanova on that last whatever. And they had lost two other ACC games earlier in the season. Remember, they had that overtime game at Pitt, and then they lost to. I mean, I realize at this point we're just yeah. like reminiscing. We're not really talking about the team, but anyway, my point is is that like that team had some stuff under itself, right? This Virginia team, yes, they lost against Zag and they got spanked, and then they won their next seven games, um, you know, without really being, um, without necessarily being pressed late in the game by good teams, right? Yes, Notre Dame, I think, had a lead at some point. Wake had a lead. Boston College had a lead. Clemson never had a lead. Um, Georgia Tech obviously had a lead. That one was two points. Um, Then they blew out Syracuse. This Virginia team, to me, is more talented in a, in a variety of ways. The problem is, is that they're also they they're also more apt to just kind of disappear. Like they have dudes who literally just kind of vanish for long stretches of the game. You think back to that team. That group had London Perantis, it had Marielle Shayok, it had Devin Hall, Darius Thompson. A bunch Zay of was dudes on that, that team. Left. You know, Garrett now granted, Roger. yeah, some of those some of those guys left, but think about the talent that was on that team. This group still has two kids shooting, you know, like better than forty some percent from three. But man, they just disappear, and that's that's not good. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't think I'm you know reinventing the wheel here. Like that group, it le- you even if they didn't necessarily play well, they had more. I mean, they had more dogs on that team. Like if you have Ty Jerome on your team, you have Kyle Guy on your team. I mean, you can say a lot about you know various other dudes, but like emotionally, you're never gonna you're never gonna feel like that. There's not somebody who's ready to make a play, right? I watched this team, and dudes just kind of stand there waiting for somebody else to make a play, except for Sam Hauser. He seems to be the one guy who is okay just taking a taking a tough shot. Um, and heck, I think sometimes he's better off just not thinking, right? He just shoots it, and it and it seems to go in. I'm not I'm not ready to say like that this team is done or anything like that. But it's pretty clear to me the Ferber's point right off the bat, like this this is who they are. I had loftier expectations for them earlier in the season, you know? I mean, 
you know, that's the folly of hope, right? <laughs> what is it that Ted Lasso says? You know, it's a hope that kills you. Um, the I looked at the pieces and I think, oh, now they get Trey Murphy. You know, they've got length, they've got size, they've got shooting in, in ways that last year's team never dreamed of having. Um, and even as the defense came around, teams still could get baskets when they needed them. You know what I mean? Even as uh, I've said last week that, you know, Jay's shot blocking in some ways covered up a lot of other things. Well, now team, he's just not being, he's not able to impact it that way. Um, I mean, there are several times last night where Shaquille Moore is just like taking them to the hole. I mean, dudes, I mean, it, and I understand there's, you know, guys sealing the lane and such and such and such, but it definitely looks like whatever the book was at the beginning of the season, it's flipped and teams have them figured out on both ends of the floor. Um, to hear Tony Bennett last night kind of going into the sort of specifics he did about, you know, looking at, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't an, ex, he wasn't exacerbated, right? He wasn't like, um, that's not the word I was looking for, exasperated, sorry. He wasn't like, you know, devoid of any sort of reason. I mean, he, he, he was very reasonable, I thought. He was like, look, we're either going to do it or we're not. We're either going to decide that this is what we have to do or, or we're not going to do that. Um, but just talking about like being more, you know, look in the mirror, you know, figuring out how you're going to be more physical, figure out how you're going to be more sound. You know, it's ex- extremely frustrating. And serious. I mean, we're, we're sitting here on a podcast doing our best to sort of talk through it. But ultimately, it's like I, I think the long and short of it is that, that the, the ceiling for this group is not as high as we thought. And whatever the ceiling is, they're not doing a good enough job of getting there. Does that make sense to anybody but me? Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not look I'll, I'm trying to think of an analogy but it's kind of like the first year you change a 4-3 defense into a 3-4 right like you got five dudes out there but they're not exactly primed to to play the position they're they're playing so this team like you know we talked about early in the season they don't have a lockdown wing defender um, their best defender is the 7 footer or the 5 foot 8 guy right and in between is just kind of what it is um, and you know, they, so they struggle to get stops when they have to. And then when teams spread you out like that, you know, you can kind of beat them to the rim, especially when Jay has to cheat away from the rim a little bit, or he's in foul trouble and can't gamble. Um, and I thought NC state did a great job of getting in his body and getting to the other side of the rim. Um, but this team's never going to be great defensively. It, you know, I, I thought the best stretches they played defensively last night were with Kafaro on the floor. Um, just because he brought a physical presence that, you know, even on the offensive side, they probably looked better with Cofaro because he was setting good screens for, for Hauser. But, um, you know, this late in the season, it's kind of hard to tinker with pieces. And clearly, I mean, I will say not to, not to completely dog the team, but, um, I mean, last night seemed in many ways like the games where Waldo's come off the bench and hit three or four threes and kind of saved them when they were cold. And obviously not having him, it was a big deal because, Look, it, you with with Waldo out, there's really not a guard that anyone cares about covering outside the three point line. I mean, um, and that makes it really hard. You know, I know I texted you guys last night, like need to post up Jay more. I think they tried, but when you can sag off the guards because you're not worried about them, it makes it hard to post up anyone. Um, so it's just you know it's. It's just not a team for that, that's a great fit for what Virginia does offensively and defensively. And um, I mean, we know we'll never see it, but like to me, like I felt there were stretches in the Duke game late where if Virginia could just go to a zone for one possession, they'd fool them enough to to stop 
But um, and the same thing last night, like when you're struggling like that, sometimes it's nice to be able to switch defenses. But look, that's never happened. It's like asking Paul Johnson not to run the <laughs> run the triple option. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. This team's just missing something. And you know, I think the thing that irritates me from the outside is they just don't look like they're having fun either. Like it's basketball dudes. I know it's, I know you're, you know, having to get COVID tested all the time and your life's not as fun as it is normally, but once you're on the court, you're still playing basketball. And they, you know, times that team looks miserable out there. I know that's just me inferring from watching, but the opponents seem to be having a lot more fun than Virginia save for maybe the Duke game. Yeah. I mean, I, we saw that early in the season too, right? I mean, I know that you commented on it, like bench energy and stuff like that. Um, I think with this team, like my, the big takeaways, and obviously I'm sure like at the end of the season, if it doesn't go well, you know, we'll do some sort of postmortem on this. But um, I think that one of the lessons I'll take away from this season when trying to think about a team before the season starts is like depth is sort of overrated. Um not that it's not important at all, because obviously injuries this year, especially with COVID and everything, it's important. But, um, you know, you think about like that's one of the reasons their expectations were so high. They brought back a lot of their production. And then also you add all these other pieces and you think about, man, think how deep they are at this position or this position. Those things, for one, they work themselves out where some of those guys don't play as much as you might think they will. And then also like, you know, the depth isn't as important as having like five guys that you can trust especially down the stretching games and there's not like a weak link or at least people know what their roles are. So like Jack salt, his weak link was just general offense, but he had a role and he could help the team. Right. Um, this year, I think, you know, when, when Tony or any other basketball coach plans their roster, I mean, they plan for like, these guys are going to be gone and then these guys are going to come in and replace them over time. Obviously if you're a one and done place, you know, you're, you're like, we're going to just rotate five new guys every year. Um, for UVA, it's like a succession planning thing. And I think one of the reasons that they struggled last year, especially on offense um, for a while, was because they just had too many guys leave earlier than their plan indicated that they would, right? I mean, when Tony brought in Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and DeAndre, I don't think he ever envisioned losing all three of them early. Um, and then he had to sort of like replace them with, you know, what he had left on his team and adding guys like Thomas Wilde Tensai, who, you know, is a really solid role player for this team, but he wouldn't be on this team if they didn't lose so many guys last year. Um, and then this year it's like, your plan is okay. You know, we got Kihei back for year three, you got an impact transfer in Hauser, and then they were lucky enough to get Murphy eligible. You got Jay Huff finishing up his career. So he should be, you know, dependable. And then at the two position, look what we've got. We've got two top 100 players who are both scorers. So, I mean, if nothing else, you think about like what Kyle Guy gave you as a freshman and as a sophomore, um, you know, if we can get, I don't, obviously these two guys, you know, Abdul Rahim and Morcel aren't going to be like that prolific as a shooter, but if they can get to the rim or do their thing, like they were, you know, like we expected that they would be able to, you know, you have a sort of a complete team. And, and to be honest, like, I'm not trying to, like, blame those guys for the, the issues that they've had, but, like, they just haven't been what we thought that we were, were going to see from them this year. And then there's just really no other way to put it. You, they're just – UVA is in a position where they're playing a backup freshman point guard at the two a lot of minutes because they, they just feel like that's their best option. Um, and I know he didn't play a ton last night, but – I mean, that's that's just not sustainable when when you have teams that can just sag off of 
you know, you're both of your guards because Kihei doesn't get respected either, even though he can score. Um, you know, the, the teams just, it, it puts you in an untenable situation. And, and to add to that, they don't have a, a true four. So it's like you have a couple wings that are getting smothered by defenders. And then, you know, your five, that's kind of a stretch, you know, weapon is, is, you know, they can hit a lot of people can, you know, pay attention to him. So it just puts you in a really tough spot, especially considering that guards are, are almost always teams, primary scorers. So I think the succession planning just didn't quite click with this team the way that, you know, we thought it would considering the caliber of players that they've brought in. And, and I think that both of those guys will develop over time into good basketball players and, and are both are capable scorers. But I mean, it, it's just that I think that is the biggest sort of fly in the ointment at this point with this team. All right. I want to, I want to focus on two things. One, you were just talking about the, the succession planning and sort of like depth being overrated. And I don't disagree with that. Actually. I I think you've got a lot of good points there. I think one of the things about depth is that if it's not necessarily just having a bunch of good players right now, if you have injuries and stuff, yes, it's great to have a bunch of, a bunch of guys, but when the pieces overlap that you're not, that's not necessarily going to help you. The bigger thing though, the second thing I want to drill into is what you said about, you know, you, you got essentially your backup point guard playing the two and, and we've seen Virginia want to have multiple ball handlers on the floor. I can tell you that coming out of the national championship, even before that, one of the things that came out of UMBC was that the staff believed fervently that they needed more ball handlers on the floor. And it led them in some variety of ways. You can, you can chalk it up to being, you know, one of many reasons you can say one of the big reasons, whatever, however you want to frame it. But it led them in 2019 to essentially to, to have that. And if you look back on it, it was kind of bananas at the time that Virginia was playing Kihei Clark as much as they were playing him. But yeah. that's because of the skill set of the other two guards, right? It's different now because the third guy who should be, you know, a you know, a guy who can, you know, if you think back to that team, right? Is Reese Beekman Ty Jerome? Well, not at that stage in his career, he's not, right? But think about the way that having Kyle Guy and the way that Guy and Jerome fit together. Think of what that did for Kihei. Kihei now had so many other options. And also, too, you know, that Virginia team had, you know, really, uh, you know, you got him in a half court. They were going to be able to set some screens and, and, and guys, you know, you were going to have to pay. If you, if you sagged off and if you sagged off Kihei, you were going to be in trouble because Virginia could set the screens and, and guys could fly off of them. You look at this team and it kind of goes back to a point you guys have, you guys kind of roasted me after the game the other night. Cause I said last week, I was like, I think that they need a bouncy four. Like I think that one of the problems with this team is that they don't have that. And, you know, watching them not be able to score late, David basically lit me on fire and <laughs> I, and maybe rightly so, I don't know, but, I actually think the answer is to both, right? Like I, watching oh, yeah, that game take last both, night. I'll take them. No, no, I don't. It's not. No, no. See, that's the thing is, I don't think it's a you know if we can take sort of situation. I think it's that if Virginia is going to be successful with a guy who is um, as talented, like let's just take Sam Hauser, right? What is what does a five with Sam Hauser need for him to be max success, right? Imagine how much better off he would be if. His five man was more traditional. He had a bouncy four. He could basically play the three. 
and the bouncy four could cover for him on the on the defensive end and cover all that space. And you weren't trying to also get touches for a five man who was seven foot two and could shoot, right? And he also had a guard who could who could actually finish at the rim, right? Like it's not necessarily just that they like they have really good pieces, but these pieces don't necessarily fit together well at all. You know, Trey Murphy is a tall guard. He's not he's he's not particularly um, a guy in the in that sort of like we've talked about before that combo forward mold. Jay Huff is a big man in literally two two elements. He's tall and he can block shots. <laughs> he's big, right? Like that's it. Like he 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 doesn't. He's not a position guy. Yeah, he's if Virginia could actually get to a place where Sam Hauser could could get the the um you know, get the ball inside to him as opposed to, you know, trying to set up a situation where Kihei is on the wing trying to get it to him. Because what's what's happening is is that his guy just satellites off and then just falls into a double team on Jay and or they and then if they get a mismatch, the guy just fronts. And there's no way for Kihei to get the ball over the dude who was guarding Jay and now the guard who is fronting Jay. And also knowing that there's a dude on the back end, right? Like trying to pump the ball into the post sounds like a great idea. But there's too many times when like it's Kihei trying to do it, and that's just not going to work, right? The only thing that works for him is lobs. And also, like it's it's not it's not his fault or anything, but Kihei is small. Like he's got to make passes from like op like open passes, you know, yes. like yes. He, anything where it's like a high degree of difficulty, his size comes into play. It's just the truth. Like that's why when you see him when he turns the ball over, a lot of times it's like rolling off the screens, driving into big lengthy guys you know and then it's like oh you know you kind of like your all your passing lanes are covered because they're all <laughs> all of the passes come from below the the defenders so they can kind of prepare a little bit <laughs> you know you can't go over yeah. top of them when you're yeah. five foot eight like and 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 last night when Kafaro was in the game UVA all like he gave them some really nice minutes but it wasn't just him right they had McCoy in there, and McCoy gave him some, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, this kind of feels like Virginia basketball a little bit, and maybe that was just me, but that's definitely the vibe I got. Is that they did have yeah, a good stretch in there at the end of the first half into the you know the beginning? I mean, of the they they half. really looked they looked much more cohesive with the two of them in there. Which and listen, I'm not sitting here on this podcast trying to say like I know more than Tony Bennett, blah 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 blah, and I'm certainly not saying that like you should like take your two All ACC potential Player of the Year dudes and sit them. That's not my point. My point here is that like certain things work and certain things don't. And as great as it is, if you can put Jay Huff and Sam Hauser out there together and they're scorching the nets, but it's almost like when it works, it's great. But when it doesn't work, it's like really, really bad. Like they can't yeah. generate offense any other way. But when you saw, you know, McCoy in there giving them energy, bouncing around, being able to cover up some things. You saw Kafaro setting some screens, getting some guys open, you know, banging down low. All of a sudden, it started to kind of feel right again. And I don't think it's just familiarity. I think that they actually looked pretty good in that stretch. Yeah, I thought the energy they brought was important, too, because, like I said, I mean, this team at times looks disinterested. Um, I mean, it's a problem when you can go through the entire roster and, tell you know, name a pretty critical weakness at every spot. Like, that usually doesn't win a lot of games. Uh, I mean, Kihei is five eight. You know, we've we've had some gifted analysis tonight. Like, what this is why people turn in. We've told them Jay is tall. Jay and Huff Kihei is, is tall short. and Kihei is small. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, Kihei, like he's just he's not a like 
you know, he, he's never going to be a Steph Curry from three. And, you know, he's reluctant to shoot it at times, often passing up probably good shots. Um, and he tends to be more aggressive in the second half. But, but he, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it just sometimes he makes mistakes. But, you know, it, the positive for him, obviously, is he's kind of the dog on the team um, and they need him. Um, and then the two guard spot as a whole, like there's not, if you put everyone together, you'd have a good two guard, right? You had good defense, good passer and a good shooter. If you put all three of those guys together, you'd have what this team needs, which is, you know, a threat from the two position. Um, and then, like you guys said, Murphy just Murphy's gifted, but he just, he's not a great ball handler. Um, and even though he's got the talent to be an alpha, he's still kind of in that, I mean, honestly, he's kind of like Dre when Dre kind of got in those funks where he disappeared. Um, I mean, like he needs whatever that motivator is, that confidence, that that courage, he needs it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sam Hauser, it's, Sam Hauser's played lights out. The guy I was the hardest on is probably the reason Virginia hasn't gotten smoked the last few games. The last one, you know, even before the losing streak, he's played well. But yeah, it's, I and mean, there's a lot of, a lot of issues with this team. And, you know, I'm not never one to criticize Tony, but I thought at the end of the Duke game, like, and uh, I didn't hear, I didn't listen to his press conference after the Duke game. I needed a break. I watched it the next day, but I mean, I felt there was a couple situations where he should have called timeout. Um, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but I mean, I feel like at times with this team specifically, you don't have Todd Jerome and Kyle Guy and all those guys out there. You've got a team that really, if the ball's going to get to the rim, one guy's doing it. Um, like I feel like he needs to be a little quicker for the to call a timeout in a game situation like that than he would be in most years. Um, and I thought that really put him in a bad spot against Duke. And then even last night, you know, what was it a six point game or a three point game? I can't remember when they they didn't foul or they did foul one of the two. There was a weird situation in the last night's game I didn't agree with, but overall, like that's up. You know, they shouldn't be in that spot. Um, and the the optimist in me says, hey, if this team can. Maybe they can light a fire and turn it around and start playing better. But, you know, I think the realist says they are what they are. They're going to – once they hit a team that's got multiple guys who can attack the rim and space them out and cover cover the bigs without putting their defense out of, out of whack, they're probably done, you know, in the tournament. Um, and the pessimist in me says, speaking of succession planning, how bad is next year's team going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think that was my thing with the timeout at the end of the Duke game. I'm certainly not like team always call timeout, but I think this team specifically, think about like what are your strengths? Your strength is shooting. You know, you have a few guys on your team that can like really good shooters. Um, Kihei, I don't mind him having the ball in his hands, and and I certainly don't mind him shooting all the time. Um, But like he's not your best shooter by a long shot. and if your plan is like to hope that he can beat a six ten guy to the rim and then do an underhand layup, like those, he misses those as much as he makes them. Like I mean, and and also he got blocked four times in that game by one guy. Um, so I mean, you know, like that that's where I feel like you could really benefit from getting a set play for Hauser and dare them to stop it. You know, like if they if they cover him, if they overcover him, you got Huff at the rim or something. Um, but they were, they preferred to just sort of like, I think they liked what they had and, and rolled the dice and obviously it didn't work out, but I don't mind the not calling timeout with seven seconds left. That's fine. But, um, the one after the offensive rebound, I really think that this team, you know, could use a reset sometimes. Cause you're right. They do go into these like ruts 
where it feels like it's really hard for them to get points, which is crazy because that's the strength of the team. <laughs> like, and that's one of the things that like, if you look at them on paper, you know, they excellent three point shooting team and they certainly shoot a lot of threes and, and they make a lot of threes. Um, when they're not falling, it makes them really one dimensional, but they're also really good at the free throw line, but they make almost no attempt to get there. They're 341st nationally in free throws to field goals. And that's not because people aren't calling fouls. It's because they don't do things to initiate them. Like they just don't last night. NC state shot 28 free throws and made 23 of them. UVA made all of their free throws, but they only shot 14. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of tells you like you're yeah. you're almost like ignoring one of your greatest strengths and also like the fact that they you know I, again i'm not advocating for them to change this but they play so slow that it's like you know when your defense is having breakdowns you're not giving yourself as many chances to sort of punch back into the game with an offense that shoots a lot of threes and could get back into games um so it's sort of like the the recipe for success almost runs counter to the strategy and i'm not saying that they should change the strategy because tony's going to do what works and obviously it works way more than it fails um but yeah i mean i think that this team is sort of in this weird catch-22 yeah i don't want to talk about next year's team yet i feel like we have lots of time after that i i well, something I just preparing people yeah well <laughs> that's true listen um there are a lot there's a you know many you know many miles to go before you sleep on on that because you know not only look there's all obviously the chance that dudes would would leave and and transfer there's obviously transfer market there's obviously a chance that some guys can get extra time i think i want to be i want to be real fair here because i think that part of the issue that that virginia's suffering from is we we you know we made a comment earlier Ferber did Start it started that that train of thought about you know depth and being overrated. I think it's fair to say that while this team was very deep to start, it is not very deep right now. the The illnesses to Shedrick and and Cody Statman, um, obviously not having Wolda Tensai, like that actually I do think played a significant role, um, especially because Shedrick was not in a place at the start of the season because of his previous illness because of. Um, you know, missing some time, he was just not in a place to to be there. And realistically, I think he was going to be in the rotation. Um, he was, I think, the best overall. You know, in terms of like what Virginia thinks of as a typical, you know, uh, roving big man, he was he was that guy. And he had he been able to get to a place where you know he was getting consistent minutes and he was getting his his strength and his uh, endurance up you know, he probably would have been a factor for them um, in a way that he's just simply not going to be now. I heard Roy the other day talking about um, one of his guys, and, you know, the, the, there was a lot of conversation about, you know, him coming back. And he's like, look, he hadn't played in a game, he hadn't done this, hadn't done that. We, you know, you can't just expect dudes to all of a sudden be in the mix. And I think that's also true to, you know, if you want to talk about McCorkle or you want to talk about Abdul yeah. Rahim. You know, you're not like just going to randomly start playing Right, them. exactly. You're, you know, you're not going to take guys who haven't been getting minutes and all of a sudden they're going to play 17, 18 or something a game. You know what I mean? Now, that being said, I think it is fair to say, listen, this team could have been markedly different had had they been able to have at least Shedrick, if not both, he and Statman, available for most of the season. Um, I'm not sure at this point, you know, what they're going to be. Um, all I do know is that what I've seen so far – um, doesn't like I said, doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. Um, I want to, I don't want us to beat it to death, and we're gonna have. Um, I guess there's gonna be one game before we we record again. So, 
I, I don't I'm not particularly interested in you know breaking down Miami. I can tell you if they lose that in that game that uh, I'm going to very much want to not. I'm going to very much want a different job for a day or so, um, as is you know sometimes the case with what I do. But um, so I don't necessarily want to dive into like a preview with hurricanes and stuff like that. Um, but I would like to get us out of here on you know the idea of what needs to happen for them to be successful. I think they've got to get to a place offensively. And I know Tony always starts with defense, but like this group, if they don't hit threes, if they don't shoot it well, everything falls apart. I have yet to see them in a game where I'm thinking, man, they're not getting, they're not hitting shots. Man, that defense looks really good. It's it, it, the this off their offense will definitely be the thing that carries them and will give them the juice on the other end. I also just don't think because of the way they're made up, like they struggle in transition in ways that most Virginia teams don't do. You know, excuse me, in, in ways that most Virginia teams don't. Um, I don't think when you miss shots that you're going to be particularly good in transition defense. Like teams, teams have understand now that like you just go, um, you don't let them get back and you don't let them set up. You just go. And it's, it's so, it seems so cliche to be like, yeah, they're going to have to make shots, but I think they're just going to have to make shots forever. Let's go back to you. What, uh, can it, can they figure out a way it, is it just they got to make shots? Like, I don't mean to be cliche and like, you know, oh, you know, got to make shots. But like, I feel like they just got to make shots. What do you think? I mean, that's the straightest line for them to be successful. Like, and and honestly, you know, some of these games, like, what did they shoot at Duke um, from three? Five for 11. So I think that game was sort of an outlier just because they didn't take very many. Last night, what did they shoot against NC State? Let's take a look. Seven for 25, 28%. Yeah. See, I mean, like, that's obviously the biggest problem last night was that they lost the first 10 minutes of the game 19 to 6, and they just were not able to dig themselves out because after that, they won the second 10 minutes 17 10, and then 14 14, and then 25 24 loss in the last 10 minutes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that shooting the ball and, and avoiding the turnovers, um, it seems to me too that, you know, their biggest recipe for success is to stretch a lead out. And, you know, if you look at the games that they've lost, they haven't really been able to do that. Um, except for the Virginia tech game where they just completely unraveled, which speaks to sort of the ability for this team to sort of disappear at times. But yeah, their largest lead of the game against Duke was five with six fifty one to go. So, I mean, I think if you can get team, if you can get out to like 10, 12 point leads, um, early in the game, it, it just, it, it's so much easier to weather the storm for this team, um, because they're not pressing so much and, and they can sort of play defense from a position of strength rather than from behind. Um, and I think that that, that, you know, would be a big help for them, but yeah, I mean, I think that shooting the ball well, um, Trey Murphy is really, I think the key, like, you know, his, his, when he's on, I mean, the offense plays a lot better and when he's off, you know, it, it, feel, it feels like too much is on Hauser and Huff at that point. Like, you know, against Duke, he scored four. You know, Hauser had 19 and Jay Huff had 20 and Kihei had 15, and they still lost. Um, so, I mean, it just kind of shows you, like, if you don't have that extra guy there, if he's not providing a lot on the offensive end, then it just really stresses out the rest of your pieces. Dave, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I think they can get better. Um, I mean, I'm coming at- I'm an advocate of a, you know, I'd like to see a starting lineup change, um, at least for the next game. Like, I mean, at some point when you're in a rut, you got to change it up, right? I agree. You know, assuming assuming Waldo's back, like 
personally, I'd like to see Kihei, Waldo, sit Trey and start McCoy or even start Kafaro um, and go ultra big on the front just to bring a different energy to that first few minutes because I think this team needs it. Because um, when Beekman got inserted, I thought you saw that. Like it, it looked a little tougher. And I think at this point, it might help Murphy to watch the first few minutes and then come in. Um, and I think it gives you some options of how to replace it. Like, you know, if, if your offense is struck, you know, doing okay and your defense is struggling, you can bring Beekman in for Waldo. And um, you still got Murphy on the bench to bring in for McCoy or, or Kafaro. Um, I, I just think this team needs a different look. They need something to kind of shock them. I don't know if it'll change it, but it feels like outside of the Duke game, this team has come out flat to start the game. And if you put different pieces in there, it's going to help. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think we might have seen a lineup change in the last two games if Waldo had been available. Um, man, Tony's not an idiot. He's seeing what we're seeing. Um, and, you know, Beekman was brought in for his ball handling and, you know, he was playing great defense, but I do think he's kind of like, I think he's going to be a great player, but I think he's kind of hit that freshman wall right now, kind of plateauing a little bit and maybe getting some minutes off him will kind of get him back to where he was. Yeah, I asked him about that the other night. I said, you know, talked about the wall, and he said, look, I feel okay. You know, I feel good. You know, this transition is tough. you you got to be, you know, ready for it. But I think all those kids, they don't realize they've hit the wall until well after they're already, they've already hit it and stood back up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's one of those things that you really um, necessarily know. I personally would like to see a, a lineup change, a starting lineup change at least, because I kind of want to see what, what Beekman looks like as just a point guard. Um, you know, we, we joked early in the season when Tony was doing these like line shifts, right? In, in hindsight, I'm curious what lessons they learned from that. And the reason I say that is because one of the things that seems to have, you know, come out of that was that, you know, once Casey was out for, um, contract tracing, Beekman started, there seemed to be, you know, Oh, well now you, there, there's your two good ball handlers on the floor. Um, what they what they give up offensively, I don't think is is up for debate, right? They have enough shooting between their other three in that five that should help them, but the but the offense you can it just it's so stagnant, you know. Like I I would like you know hopefully Wold Tensai is available for Monday night, um, if for no other reason than it's senior night and he should be able to play in his last home game. Um, Though I guess technically he could come back if he wanted to. Yeah, that's. Um, I was going to say like Tony even said that like there was no chance he was coming back. Uh, but on the one quick point on Beekman, like when he first started starting, there wasn't a lot of film on him, so he was getting a lot of respect as a shooter. So that was helping keep the space a little bit better. Now that's that he's kind of good point, he's yeah. kind of dot off like he's not getting that. All right, I guess that's a a good place to put a pin in it. Um, man, it was that was rough last night. That was a rough one, and um, I'm not I'm not typically like a you know um, you know have at it sort of person. I've definitely have done that in the past. Where like um, I've gone to the message board and be like, "Have at it," you know, just whatever you want to say. Um, I just want to I just want to say some sort of apology to to Jay Huff. I didn't mean to to tweet that thing out and make all these people mad at you. Um, but anyway. Um, <laughs> if you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that um, podcasts are sold, quote unquote sold, um, we should be there. If you are so inclined, you can give us a review. It helps to get us out in front of more people. 
Um, if you haven't given us a look yet, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Uh, if you want a place to go vent about whatever you think about the basketball team, you can do that there. Um, Virginia got uh, another football commitment the other day. Um, Rodney Hill, Deuce, um, which uh, you know I thought was a, a pretty interesting little frame for him. It's like you know why not Virginia? I thought that was interesting. So it's it, the 2022 cycle is already getting started. Damon Delman is out there killing it on the baseball front. Um, I feel like that dude is uh, is everywhere on the baseball stuff. Um, I don't know if I know anything as well. I don't think I know about anything as much as, as well as he knows UVA baseball. So you can check that out as well. Um, Ferber will have, as we post this on tomorrow morning, um, power rankings will be out. Um, spoiler alert. Um, Virginia is not going to be back at the top. Um, and then we'll, we'll get you ready for Miami on the other side of the weekend. Uh, but I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank uh, David. Wow. I almost, almost called him David Ferber, which that was really strange. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. That's my uh, grandpa. Oh, wow. Look at that. Grandpa got a reference. He had a name drop. Mm-hmm. Um, so for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatScorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.